So let's, let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, and, and we'll pick it up there. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and this is the word of God. It says, I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. God, that is, that's our prayer uh, this morning, and, and I hope in all of life, that our faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And, and we pray that because, God, it is this war between our new mind and new heart and new spirit that we have by the good work of the Holy Spirit to make us new in Christ and the battle we have with this flesh that we still live in. Uh, God, we take great confidence in Christ who saves us from our body of death we rejoice that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, but we acknowledge, God, that there is a battle that we face to put our trust in the fleeting and dying and foolish things of this world and not in your power. And so, God, we ask that you would give us great understanding and great appreciation and great anticipation and great joy in what the Holy Spirit has done and is doing and will do so that we would find the wisdom of this world to be tasteless and useless and foolish. And we would instead run to you and seek your power and find it strong and eternal and good and satisfying. So help us this morning, God, as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're picking up, as I said, uh, on this chapter to focus now today on this phrase, the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Demonstration of the Spirit and of power in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, last week, as we looked at this passage, I challenged you to consider the role of weakness in your Christian life and ministry. Um, that is that, that knowing our weaknesses and being honest about weaknesses highlights the power of God that it's actually at work. And so we don't have to be concerned or, or ashamed of our weaknesses because it's actually in our weaknesses that, that Christ has shown to be strong. This is to contrast maybe living your Christian life in your own strength, as if um, you could somehow, by just being a good enough Christian, make God do what you want him to do. Uh, Paul critiques this in verse one by saying that he would not proclaim the gospel with lofty speech or wisdom, and verse 4, he would not try to win people with plausible words of wisdom. So we must never forget that the message of the gospel is not made effective by human strength. It is God who saves. It is God who works. So, so we place our focus then on making Jesus known. This is our commission as Christians. Verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We are, we are proclaimers. That, that's what God has called us to be. And we just trust 
in our proclaiming that God will work. Paul says we, when we proclaim the gospel, what we can expect, verse 4, is a demonstration of the spirit and of power. That word demonstration is, is literally a showing forth. That's what it, what it means. A, a putting on display. So Paul's ministry to the Corinthians was not to highlight Paul, but to highlight God. And, and, and the result is that God receives the glory for whatever comes, right? If it is a demonstration of the spirit and of power, then we praise God for his work. I mean, this is really the mark of a genuine Christian and, and the mark of a genuine church or a genuine ministry or mission it's that God gets the glory for all the results. I mean, that doesn't mean we don't work hard. We certainly work hard. We, we strive for excellence. We, we're, we try to be strategic and faithful. We do our good works, the Lord Jesus says, so that they would see them and they would give glory to God in heaven. Our, our ultimate goal in proclaiming the gospel is not that somehow we would be great, but that God would be shown to be great as he is. And verse 4 indicates that, that when God is shown great, that is a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and his power. We could say that it is the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. The Holy Spirit produces the results. The Holy Spirit is the one that demonstrates the power of God. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you want the Holy Spirit to work in your life, right? You want the power and work of God to be evident in everything you do, in your church, in your relationships, right? Now, here's the tricky question. How do you expect that to happen? If you want the Holy Spirit to be at work and to be shown forth in your life, what is it that you expect that to look like? That, that's the sort of core question I want to get at today that I think Paul is trying to remind the Corinthians of, is how do you expect the work of the Holy Spirit to come about in your life? There's your, there's your question, note takers. How do you expect the work of the Holy Spirit to come about in your life. Well, let's just first do a little bit of review. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Well, the Holy Spirit is God. I'm just going to say that very simply. We're going to unpack that in a few weeks, but, but the Holy Spirit is God. He is sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to do the work of God the Father. And we primarily know the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, by what he does. Just, I just want you to think about this emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. We just said together in our Statement of Faith, Article 6, what we believe about the Holy Spirit. That was totally providential. I just, it was just, we just go in order, and it was just number six this week, so praise God for that. Um, but listen to what this says, and just listen to the working language here. We believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners. In him, they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. We primarily know the Holy Spirit by the work that he does. So kids, if that's something you want to remember today, if you're just going to remember one little sentence today, that would be it, is that the Holy Spirit is doing work in your life. The Holy Spirit is doing the work of God in your life. We all need to remember that. I know some of you kids learn catechisms, which is, I think is wonderful, and I encourage that for families. 
And the New City Catechism kids, maybe you can remember this, question 37 says, how does the Holy Spirit help us? And you don't have to say it out loud, I'll say it for you, but you can whisper it if you know this. The, how does the Holy Spirit help us? The answer is, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and enables us to pray and understand God's word. Convicts and enables. The Holy Spirit is doing the work of God in your life. So, so then for all of us, what we're really after then is experiencing that work. We're after seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. We're after, we're after enjoying the work of the Holy Spirit. We're after, as Paul would say in verse 4, a demonstration of the Spirit and of power in our lives. Now, how would we expect that to happen? Paul gives us two possibilities in our text. Either through plausible wisdom or through proclamation of the gospel. That's in verse 4. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And if you go back up to verse 1, he did not come to you proclaiming the testimony with lofty speech or wisdom, but decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So there are really only two possible ways that the Holy Spirit might work in your life. that You could expect this to happen. Through plausible wisdom or through the proclamation of the gospel. Let me, let me explain what he means there because... It's clear that Paul does not want us to seek out the pathways of plausible wisdom to then bring about the work of the Holy Spirit. Our trust needs to be supremely in the proclamation of the gospel. We're not called to be clever marketers or great speakers or dynamic personalities. We are called to be proclaimers. We proclaim the Holy Spirit works, God gets the glory. That is the Christian life. That is Christian ministry. This isn't to say that God doesn't use gifted people or hard work. It's rather calling us to be careful not to put our trust in those things. Remember, the main issue, it seems, with the Corinthian church was a desire to present the Lord Jesus Christ to people in a way that would make him seem desirable, that would convince the prevailing culture that Jesus is good for them. Now, perhaps they would use logic and arguments, but really in Corinth, if we, we do a little history, we find out what they really liked was showmanship. They really liked someone to come in and impress them. And if you could impress the people in Corinth, they would follow you. And maybe even more importantly, they would pay you to keep impressing them. And so there seems to be this temptation, if we could just draw a crowd, then we would convince people to be Christians. Or, or maybe even, we could just, if we could just answer every objection and have a better argument, then people will become Christians. If we could just reason with people about what is true and what is false, then people would become Christians. Now, I think we're going to look in a second about how that, that is evident today. But, but when you think about it, isn't this, in a way, trying to force God's hand? Aren't, aren't we trying to reverse engineer the work of the Spirit? That is, that is to say, if, if, if we saw the Spirit work in one situation, we said, if we can just replicate that, then, then the Holy Spirit would work again. If we could just follow steps one, two, three, then bam, it's power. Holy Spirit comes. Now, now that can be both subtle and overt, but I think this is what Paul is rejecting when he says we reject plausible wisdom. He's telling us we cannot put our trust in what we think will bring about a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Let me give you a couple examples from within our family, from within Christianity. Ways in which we slide into this, where we start thinking, I can bring about the work of the Holy Spirit by just following steps one, two, three. And I'll give you an overt example. Um, and I'm, I'm, I do this, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm, I'm trying to be constructively critical 
these are brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so um, and I'm going to pick on the charismatic movement and the gift of tongues. And I, partly because I know a lot of you have background um, with the Pentecostal and charismatic movement. This is a little bit of a theological and historical phenomenon. We're going to study a lot when we get to chapter 12 through 14, Lord willing. And these are brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? But the, the, whole, the, the charismatic movement puts an emphasis on the gift of speaking in tongues, or what we might call the biblical gift of languages. And, and if, if we're honest, the charismatic practice of speaking in tongues is very unusual. It's not typically a known human language. It's just simply repetitive noises. And I'm not, not trying to say that to be derogatory. I'm just saying that's what it is. It's, it's just babble. Um, and charismatic, the charismatic movement generally believes, hey, this is a true manifestation of the Spirit. Now, I'm bringing all this up, just a little background, and because I've, I've heard enough stories to, to assume that this actually happens. That in some charismatic meetings, if you want to speak in tongues, you'll be instructed to, you know, just start. Start, start trying, and, and then the Spirit will come and take over. Now, I bring that up because that just seems plausible. I mean, think about like this in the best case scenario. Like you have a desire to, to see the Holy Spirit come and to have a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You come with an expectant heart that God might do something, and so you're just gonna kind of get things going and hope that God will bless that. I, I think that there's a heart there that, that has a good desire, um, but the problem is if Paul is going to reject that sort of thinking in preaching the gospel to the lost, then certainly we'll have to reject that sort of thinking in our practices in the church. As if, by simply our actions or our desires, we could force God to do what we want him to do. It seems logical in its best case scenario, but I think at the end of the day, we're trying to control God and not allowing him to control us. So that, that's sort of an overt example. Um, but more subtly, and I think, I know a lot of you, most of you, that you're not really charismatic people, but we're not immune from this at all, this way of thinking. How do we expect the Holy Spirit to work in ways that we might trust our plausible wisdom? I'll give you a few examples. I've heard it said that what you should do as a Christian, if you want to really be effective for the Lord, is you should look where God is already at work, and you should go there and pitch in. But doesn't God tell us to preach the gospel to all people, not just the people who seem ready for it? Doesn't God call us to minister to people in any situation? I mean, and isn't here in this a temptation to go and look fruitful because the Spirit's already bearing fruit instead of trusting that the Lord will bear fruit in your life right now? Another example, we might observe that a large percentage of Christians believe the gospel as children. And praise God for that, right? To be raised in a Christian home, to be told from the day you are born, God loves you and sent his son to die for your sin. To call them to faith and obedience. It's a good thing. But we could take that and say, okay, well then let's just, if we're going to be strategic and we want to see people saved, let's just throw all of our efforts into evangelizing children. Because, you know, once they hit 18, odds are it's not going to happen. They're not going to believe the gospel. Certainly we should evangelize our children. But, but if, we, if we, we think like this, aren't we putting more trust in our method or in what we can observe than in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring salvation to anyone at any age? Or another example, perhaps you just know someone that is so far from being a Christian, you've pretty much given up hope that they could ever be saved. You just, their life is so ruined by sin. They're so bitter and angry and nasty, or maybe they're just someone who just really does not care. 
And so you think that person is just never going to be saved and we can use that then as a justification to not pray for them and not tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you realize that just because that makes logical sense to us, just because it seems plausible that that person will never be saved, you have to realize that the Holy Spirit does not conform to our standards of plausibility. The Holy Spirit works with the power of God to save whomever he wills. I mean, so, so we can't give up in our ministry because of a plausible argument. We must trust the power of God. And we could find other examples, I'm sure. But, but this is the point. When we start to put our trust in our methods or our wisdom or our logic, we're quenching the Holy Spirit. If you want to see the Holy Spirit work in demonstrations of God's power, there is one sure path. Preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2.2 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul's calling them to remember his ministry and, and he says, I came, I didn't come trying to impress people. I didn't try coming to conform to the methods that worked in your culture. I came preaching Jesus crucified. So we read in chapter one, which sounded foolish, which, which seemed unwise, which seemed weak. Paul says, I came preaching Christ. And what was the effect? What happened in Corinth when Paul preached the gospel? Verse four, a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We proclaim the gospel to all people at all times and the Holy Spirit does the work as he wills. We are called to faithfulness. The Holy Spirit is responsible for fruitfulness. So when we see the fruit, we don't say, yes, I knew we were on the right path. We see the fruit, we say, yes, God has done it. We must be faithful. Even if the fruit is not always immediate and evident. So you say, okay, fine. I want to see the Holy Spirit work. I'm just going to say the words of the gospel. Where's the Holy Spirit? Well, you realize that our responsibility is proclaiming. We entrust the results to God. This is, again, a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust. I think Paul's pressing us here beyond evangelism, even though I've kind of taken that as our main application, into all of life. I mean, do you want the Holy Spirit to work in, in every area of your life, in your family, in your work, in your recreation, in your church? I mean, don't you want, when we, when we say this part of our statement of faith, don't you want indwelling, illuminating, guiding, equipping, and empowering for Christ-like living and service? Yeah, I want the Holy Spirit to do that. How do you get the Holy Spirit to, to do that then? How do you expect that to come about? Preach the gospel. Make the Lord Jesus Christ crucified, buried, risen, and coming again your theme. Teach it to your children. Talk of Jesus when you're sitting in your houses and on walks and when you lie down and when you rise. Bind the gospel to your hands and your heads. Write it on your houses and your gates. That is, shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into every corner of your life. Because proclaiming the gospel is God's means of bringing about salvation and transformation in the life of his people. That's it. Proclaiming the gospel is God's means of bringing about salvation and change. We preach, the Holy Spirit works, God gets the glory. So, so do you want someone to be saved in your life? I mean, do, do you want to overcome sin and temptation that's plaguing you? 
Do you need wisdom for parenting, for retirement, for death? I mean, do you, do you, do you want a loving relationship with your spouse? You want patience in circumstances that aren't going your way? Do you want joy? Do you need your faith in God to be strengthened? Do you need your faith in God to be at rest? What's the solution? Proclaim the gospel. Keep telling yourself what Christ has done and have faith that through that the Lord will bring about change. Listen to sermons, read books, sing songs, write notes. I think that's idea kind of alluded there to Deuteronomy 6 where Moses tells the, the, the Israel to, to bind the truth of there being one God on their hands and heads. This, this is the idea, is, is that we want the good news of the gospel to permeate every area of our lives so that when the Holy Spirit works, and often in ways we don't expect, we will say, all glory be to God. Decide, Christians. Decide in your life to make nothing known but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Again, the key here is faith. We don't, we don't want to get into the trap of just thinking that if I just speak some words, everything will go well. Like when, when we're making Jesus known in our lives and to the world, what we're doing is we're saying we're trusting that God will work through his means as he sees fit. The gospel is what we trust in. It's what we count on. It's what we are patient with. So that when the fruit comes, when the results comes, our faith rests not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I mean, this is the result that Paul is after. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 2. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He, he's, he's looking back and remembering this is what happened. I preached the gospel to you. You believed it was the work of the Spirit. And, and the, the result of that is that you should trust in God and not in men. And it's almost as if, as the Corinthian church is now trying to understand how they're supposed to proclaim the gospel into their culture that's rejecting it, he's saying, do the same thing. Building off of a faith that rests in God and not in men is how we do ministry. This is the result. So, so how then do we do demonstrations of the Spirit give us faith in God? So we kind of know how they'll come about by preaching the gospel. But if, when God works, brings results and bears fruit, how does that affect our faith? Now, you might think, in order to have faith in God, I need something right now. I need something today. I need a miracle. I need a sign. I need a manifestation. I, just, I need to feel chills to know that the Spirit is working. But it turns out, I think if we look at the broad specter of, of spectrum of scripture and, and even here in first corinthians 2 that, that the real way that the demonstrations of the spirit bring our faith to rest in god is by looking more to the past and the future than at the immediate present we need to look back on what the holy spirit has done so that we can look forward to what he will do this is what we see in first corinthians 2 in order to comfort the Corinthians in their troublesome times, he says, remember what happened. Don't you remember how I came to you in weakness? Don't you remember how I preached the gospel? Don't you remember how God worked? If the Corinthian church is after a manifestation of the Spirit, Paul's telling them, don't reinvent the wheel. Like, look back at what the Spirit has already done and trust that he will do it again. So Christians, we ought to look back. What has the Holy Spirit done? Let's start with miracles. 
miracles are the works of God that suspend the ordinary laws of nature and reason. So when blind people see, or when dead people come to life, or when food is multiplied, right? Walking on water, storms being stilled. Those are miracles. God suspending the ordinary laws of nature. When you look through the Bible, you will see that the Holy Spirit is the power behind every miracle in the Bible. And, and that power of the Holy Spirit to do miracles has a very particular goal, so that people's faith would rest in God. And it looks like the Corinthian church saw genuine miracles. If you look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul's reminding them of his time with them. And he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. That probably refers to miraculous healings, other works that Paul may have done. Signs and wonders and miraculous works. So, so in a way, Paul's saying, look back and remember what God did. It wasn't normal. It wasn't natural. It was miraculous. Now you may say, wait, but how am I supposed to look back on God doing something miraculous when he's never done anything miraculous in my life? Now some of you may be able to say, boy, I remember this, and, I, and those are great stories to share. But even if you don't have spectacular stories of God suspending the laws of nature, you do have a testimony of the great works of God in the scriptures. Really, that's the testimony we ought to all run to to see the miracles of God at work so that we can have faith in him. I think one of the main reasons that as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice that there is a ton about the miraculous work of Jesus, and really the cross and the resurrection are just a couple of chapters. Why is it that God saw fit to give us so much testimony about Jesus' miraculous work? Could it be to instill in us a confidence that Jesus really is the Son of God. So that as we, we read the miracles and marvel at Jesus, this, this leads us then to believe his message and to trust his death and resurrection for salvation. We look to the Bible. We look back at the miracles of God so that our faith would rest in him. But, but if you're a Christian, you have had a miracle happen in your life. It's the miracle of miracles. It's salvation from sin and death and hell by the glorious work of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel. We, we had Eric read for us this morning from John chapter three. John chapter three, Jesus explains that when we are born again, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. So just to remind you from verse five, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. If you are a Christian, it is because God the Holy Spirit has demonstrated his power in giving you life out of death, in forgiving all of your sins, in, in taking out, as the Old Testament would say, a heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh, in making you a new creation and giving you new birth, giving you a new heart and mind, taking you who were once at war with God and making peace by the blood of his son. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit 
And I think here in, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul's calling the Christians to look back and remember that moment. Remember God's power to make them new. Remember that when they came to Christ, it wasn't because Paul convinced them. It was because God called and the Holy Spirit worked and they came and they were born again. So, so the greatest rest for your faith, brother, sister, is looking back on the work of the Holy Spirit to save you. Like that, that, if you, you're in turmoil, if you doubt the powerful work of God, look back and remember how he saved you. I hope you marvel at the wonder of salvation. I know I love hearing stories from people about how they came to Christ, how they came to faith in Jesus, because it's, it's a testimony to the powerful work of God. If you really want to leave here today feeling encouraged and having your faith strengthened, then, then stay for lunch. Not because brisket will, will encourage you and nourish your faith, although we praise God for the good gifts that he gives us. But, but, but ask somebody to tell you about how they came to faith in Jesus. That will nourish your soul. That will encourage you to hear of the work of God. God Marvel at the work of the Holy Spirit in the past. We could then go from your salvation to your sanctification. That is, we, we studied this a few weeks ago. What has the Holy Spirit done since he has saved you? What, what has he changed in your life? I think in a way, Paul reminds the Corinthians back in chapter 1 in his little prayer, verses 4 through, through 9 of chapter 1, about how the Spirit came and was at work and is at work in them. We look back in our lives to what the Holy Spirit has done so that our faith would rest in God. You could go and read places like Galatians chapter 2, or sorry, chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, when you see that list, Christians, instead of saying, well, yeah, I could improve in all of those areas. You're right. That's, that's not the intent. Like, the intent is that we would look at that list and say, wow, God has done some amazing things in my life. I used to not be joyful. Now I have joy in the Lord. Like, I used to have no self-control, and now by God's grace, I'm able to, to rein it in. I was never kind. But God has given me this little glint of kindness Right, we look back at the fruit of the Spirit to say, praise God for all that he has done. Perhaps you could look back at times where the Holy Spirit sustained you through difficult times, through suffering or persecution, like Paul does in 1 Thessalonians. Or you could look back and remember the ways the Spirit has given you gifts and knowledge and wisdom, like he reminds the Corinthians. And I think you're going to see this as you look through the, the whole Bible, but especially 1 Corinthians, is that Paul often calls us to look back at what the Holy Spirit has done to change us and use that as the starting point for how we would live. When you look back on the work of the Holy Spirit in your life then, you will see that it is all connected with faith in the gospel, with the proclamation of the good news and our trusting of it. From your salvation, which is by God's grace through your faith, to your sanctification, which comes by obedience to the commands of the gospel and trust in the promises of the gospel. The Holy Spirit works not because we figure out how to get him to, but because we keep beholding and believing and applying the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want to make a very important distinction here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, or sorry, verse 5, that the goal is that we would look back at the work of the Holy Spirit so that our faith might rest in the power of God. Notice that in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of, of men, but we could insert the language, but your faith might rest in the power of God. And I think this is an important distinction to make of rest. Now, certainly we want our faith to be strengthened, and you'll see this in the Bible, 
And though I tried really hard to not say it, I'm sure I did a few times, um, but we want our faith to be strengthened, right? We, we want that, that sort of, I can, I can move mountains sort of faith. We want this bold faith. But I, I think it's interesting that Paul here uses the word rest because our faith also needs to be at peace with God. Like we need a sense of serenity and stability that comes from trusting in the power of God, right? It, a life of faith is not merely one that, that can move mountains. It's one that can go to sleep because you trust that God has the ultimate power. When you look back and see what God has done, you can have peace with the uncertainty of today. Maybe, maybe it's just me and the people I spend time with, but I think that a faith that rests in the power of God is much needed. There's much stress about today and about tomorrow. What will come? What will we do? Well, brothers, sisters, if your faith rests in the power of God, not the wisdom of men, you won't know the future. But you can be confident that God who brought you here will bring you through to the end. So, so that, that's why we look back to the work of the Holy Spirit, and that then prepares us to look forward to the work of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit has worked in the past, how can we expect him to work again in the future? I, I kind of wonder if this was the question that was really bothering the Corinthians. Just think about their experience. Paul had come to Corinth. He was there for about 18 months, maybe two years. He preached. People were saved. A church was established. Miraculous gifts came. Wisdom and knowledge. I mean, that sounds like a busy couple of years to me. And you could just imagine after Paul has left, that church is sitting there going, will the Spirit do it again? Can, can we expect him to work in this way today? Like, will he do it at Corinth? Will the Spirit work that way at Crossroads? Can I really expect the Spirit to keep working in my life? Well, of course, we would say absolutely. What we have to be careful of, and this is what Paul was warning, is to avoid the trap of imposing our expectations and trusting our methods and remember that the Holy Spirit works through the ordinary proclamation of the gospel. So, so you say, okay, I'm committed to that. I'm committed to, to proclaiming the gospel to myself, to my church, to the world. How then do we approach the future with a faith that rests in God? How then do we look to future manifestations, demonstrations of the Spirit and of power? I'm persuaded that the answer is prayer. That, 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 that's the realm in which we anticipate the future work of the power of God. In prayer, we rest our faith in the power of God to do the work. In prayer, we plead with the Holy Spirit to work in and through our proclamation of the gospel. So let's just take those three categories we already looked at, miracles, salvation, and sanctification. How would you, Christian, whose faith rests in the power of God, pray for a miracle? Might sound something like this. Great physician, you have healed the greatest sickness of our souls in forgiving our sins. Jesus Christ died in a body that I might rise with an incorruptible one like his. God, we face death in our bodies. We face disease and deterioration, and we long for relief. We want healing. We want a taste of heaven here on earth. God, may your spirit give healing. But thank you, Lord, for the promise of eternal life. We're putting our confidence in that healing that is guaranteed. If this illness leads to death, I'm certain 
that it actually leads to life. How might you pray for your salvation or the salvation of others? Almighty Savior of sinners, when I was dead in my trespasses, you made me alive together with Christ. Holy Spirit, you have given me new birth and washed me clean and given me life. God, I want you to save my family and my friends and my coworkers and my neighbors. I trust that you can do it. So God, give us the courage to proclaim the gospel even from our weaknesses. Give us opportunities to tell of your marvelous works of salvation. We ask that you would put in the lost people that we know a desire to see you. God, please use us to proclaim the good news. Keep our trust in you. How might you then pray for your sanctification? Patient and gracious God, your spirit lives within me and helps me to put sin to death and fills me with the fruit of eternal life. May the works of Christ be evident in my life. Please fill me with the gifts of wisdom to live by your power and for your glory. Spirit, give me joy in suffering that I might follow in the footsteps of my Lord. Fill my mouth with the word of the gospel. Fill my hands and feet with obedience to the commands of Christ. Fill my heart and mind with a sweet confidence in your promises. Give me strength to work with fear and trembling while you work in me to will and to work for good pleasure. We look to the future work of the Holy Spirit in prayer. And it's not just empty prayer, it's prayer that is proclaiming the gospel. I I just wrote out those few prayers just to maybe encourage you that, that you can pray like this. You can pray these wonderful promises of God and truths of God that we have in Christ and pray them for what you would like the Spirit to do in the future so that it is in Jesus' name, like according to his will and word. This is the pathway of faith that rests in the power of God. We look back with gratitude on what God has done through the work of the Holy Spirit and we look forward with patient anticipation of what God the Holy Spirit will do. Christians, God has not called us to use our strength and our cleverness to figure out how to convince the world that they need to turn from sin to Christ. God has called us to proclaim, to tell the truth. This is evident when we step out in faith, even in weakness, and boldly proclaim nothing but Christ and him crucified. I mean, we may not be eloquent, we may not seem plausible or strong or powerful, but that's okay. Like, God is all of those things. We are called to work eagerly and humbly and proclaim. We then wait patiently for God to work. And with with every demonstration of the spirit and of power, we give praise and glory to God and find rest for our souls. May it be so. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would fill our church with an eagerness, I don't even know if that's a word, with a desire, a strong desire for demonstrations of the spirit and of power. And God, may we not look for those 
in, in anything that we could fabricate or anything that we could bring about by our strength or our strategy. God, may we, we look for the work of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel. God, fill our mouths and our minds with the truth of Christ that we would tell each other and so strengthen each other's faith and that we would tell each other and cause our faith to rest in you and that we would proclaim this good news to the world. Whether it sounds plausible to them or not, whether it looks strong or not, whether it seems wise or not, may we make Christ known. God, these are your means and so we trust your power to work as you will for your glory. In the name of Christ, amen.